0: I'm Austin Meek with Waco Business News, and you're listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco business. My guest today is Cody Carlson. We discuss his career as a Baylor football star and NFL quarterback, his continuing work with Baylor athletes on name, image, and likeness sponsorship deals, and a property his partners and he purchased on the bustling Elm Avenue corridor. Cody, can you tell our listeners a little bit of your Waco history?
1: Yeah, so, um, and it's great to be here, and I get a chance to listen to you, um, if not every week, whenever I can, and so it's an honor to be here, and so my Waco history was that I I moved here after high school to attend Baylor University. I was familiar with Waco because my sister was already a student here, and um, so that was in 1982 was when I moved here. So I... Uh, you know love the campus then, uh, just the uh, the atmosphere of the of the college itself. we didn't know any different, and things were done a little bit differently. It is um, we moved back here about five years ago, and just to see the improvement, you know certainly on the institution side, on the campus side, but also in uh, kind of the partnerships with Baylor and the city, and that's just expanded since we've been here. so, the history that I started with is, is uh, you know, it, it definitely uh, lacks some of the amenities that we have now.
0: Just as a city, it as a whole, Waco did?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we didn't spend much time, you know, away from campus, really. I mean, the city itself just didn't have the thriving business uh, community that it does today. Um, you know, there's a lot of steps that have happened over the 30 years since I left Waco uh, to make that possible. Um, but it's just, a you know, I love to see the dynamics to meet the people. It's still a, a you know, it's a, a small community, if you will. And in some ways, uh, it's growing, obviously. But the relationships are still the fabric of, of Waco. And it's been great to participate in that.
0: When I was a student at Texas A&M, I wrote for our newspaper. I worked for a company called TexAgs covering sports and athletes. And I was shocked at how well catered for these athletes are—they have places to stay, they have tutors, they have food. Ten years later, it's even more so, and with sure. all the resources that Baylor has poured into their athletics department and becoming a Tier One research university, it seems like Baylor is more flush than ever, and the life of these students is more scheduled than ever. I would imagine right. being a, a jock in the '80s at Baylor was a pretty different experience. Yeah, than certainly, yeah,
1: you had a little more free time, and and. You know, really, I mean, with that, uh, with all the improvements with the athletic department and the university and the way that it's integrated with Baylor, um, there are some drawbacks to that. You know, the students don't have access sometimes to the same education or the same, let's say, um, uh, you know, uh, avenues through the – the. you know, to get their degree, you know they might be restricted in what they can study just because of the time demands, and so you know certainly Baylor has done a great job in offsetting that in some ways with the athletic department. They have programs over there with student athlete success uh, department that really pours into the athletes and gives them an idea about you know what it, what it might be like after athletics. It cultivates character and integrity and all the values that. Uh, that Baylor, that is, are derived from the mission of Baylor. And so you see a, a, a great job on the institution side supporting the growth of student athletes um, because they know that the demands on their time to, to perfect their trade, if you will, are, are pretty extreme.
0: Less than 2% of NCAA athletes end up becoming professional athletes, which is why it's so important for these young men and women at the time that they are in the spotlight to maximize that. And it seems like that is what this partnership between Baylor and Startup Waco and this group, GXG, that at least to my knowledge is helping cultivate sponsorships for name, image, and likeness deals. That's why that's so important. Like, Let these kids get as much as they can and get as great a benefit as being in Waco as possible while they are here. Can you talk a little bit about your involvement with helping these student athletes?
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, <clears throat> so, my involvement with the student athletes happened first on the Letter Winners Association. So, um, you know, I was, I was on the board of advisors for the Letter Winners uh, organization. We do some programming to kind of help inform the student athletes, you know, what the transition looks like. Um, we try to do a job of connecting them with employers. Uh, at the right time but that's you know a little bit we're working on that within the organization Um, but it but it's also just to help them understand the professional skills that they that they'll need as they move away from the campus and interact with uh, a different demographics in the workforce Um, and then also to have just understand what they have done does translate to the next Level And they all have insecurities about that. Um, They spend so much time, you know, again, honing their craft that they don't understand what some of the other uh, avenues are and how what they're doing today and all the time that they're investing really helps to develop them. So I think we've 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 we tell our stories in that. And there's a lot of us uh, letter winners that have had, uh, I would say, nonlinear paths or we, we knew something, there was a passion that we had, an interest that we had, and we pursued that with the same uh, gusto that you do, the sport. And so I think it helps to just give them a, a little bit of confidence as they leave the university. On the Startup Waco side, I had the fortune of running into Startup Waco fairly early um, when we relocated here. And, and um you know, just you know, as you know, it's a a vision of the chamber and of the city and of certain business leaders in the community to really shore up and grow the I would say the um, the small business community here in Waco, uh, with the emphasis on uh, those that that don't necessarily have access to capital. They're small businesses. They don't need large loans, or um, but they also don't know where to turn. So. Startup Waco originally just was a, a resource for those small businesses, putting them through programs and connecting them to the services that they need. When NIL became a real thing, and it, you know, of course it had been brewing for a number of years, but when it became a real thing, Baylor, uh, rightfully so, was very slow to engage around it. Part of it is because there is a conflict in some ways with what is happening already at Baylor, um, Baylor has um, universities are not able to participate in it, so it wasn't something that they were able to to form or control or even be a part of, except for on a support level, not not financially, but just okay. Here's a here's a resource that a student athlete can go to. So when I was working with John Passavante, who's the CEO over at Startup Waco, and Jacob Kehoe, who's a director. They had already started brainstorming that well, you know with the advent of Nil, you have 500 student athletes that are entrepreneurs. their their name, their image, their likeness is their business. And we can do uh, we can kind of lean into that and give them the support that they need, but also the vision that it takes to really understand what they want to do after after sport and after college. So that was kind of my my uh, foray into working with them. And so now I'm on the uh, the development side, work there close closely with uh, an advisory group, but also with John and Jacob and others that, that are uh, kind of focused on growing the opportunities for student athletes.
0: What are examples of some successful partnerships that have happened between Baylor athletes and community members or community businesses?
1: Right. Well, we've had, um, you know, first of all, the being aligned with the student athletes has helped Startup Waco. It's helped build the brand. It's it's enabled us to really engage the community and beyond, with letting um, letting Waco know, but all, also others know what Startup Waco does. So first and foremost, we've been able to engage them, and utilize their their position in the community, the culture that they have, the the personalities that they have to you know help kind of engage, including a gala that we threw on December the 10th. And I saw you there and and thanks for attending. And you were very sharply dressed, made me bring my fedora back out of the closet. <laughs> um, and so, you know, first of all, it's just to get to know them. Right. And to know each one of the individuals that we're engaged with and what their needs are. We are not an agency, so we don't do the deal flow, but we do have a, a contracted or a partner agency that has been able to get um, get sponsorships for student-athletes, uh, help inform their social media um, platforms. Um, we've had student-athletes that have come over and actually are clients, if you will, in the sense that they are housed at Startup Waco starting their own businesses. And it might be fashion business. It might be social media business. It might be a technology business. And so, you know, we've been able to to, um, to really help, um, you know, them understand what it takes. We've been able to connect. If someone has a technology need, we've been able to connect them with the right platforms or the right people to develop their their technology platform. Uh, for the others, it's just, you know, uh, and, and some of these things are base, baseline, right, is that, okay, if you're going to be earning income, you have to understand that there is a tax consequence to that. So you need a tax advisor or you need someone who is an, a, a financial advisor, right? A lot of these student athletes have agents. It's helping them understand what an agent's role is and what, what the, uh, the type of person is that they should be choosing. We don't, we don't tell them. We don't have anyone in-house that is, a, is an agent, but that's a big, big decision for a student athlete, someone that they can depend on is what you hope that they find.
0: I remember when this idea of allowing college students to be paid first came out, there was lots of wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is going to... You heard me. College sports (laughs) being professionals. (laughs) Right. Um, We've now been doing this for a couple of years now. Is the jury out as to whether this is overall a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I guess it depends on the seat that you're in. It's an
1: understandable thing as far as the um, the court rulings, um, you know, class action suits that first took place in California and then was upheld by the Supreme Court. It's understandable because there is a lot of money in in college football. Right. The the media rights packages are, are huge and they're growing at the same time. Um, you know, it was a somewhat, well, I, I saw it coming just because I had been, you know, kind of able to listen to some of the news and new people that were not on the front edge of it, but but were making us aware of what was coming. I was not excited about it uh, wholesale, but I do understand it. And, and I have, you know, migrated a little bit from this, oh, okay, this is going to change college athletics for the worse. I, I don't I don't know. I think the jury is still out on that. And I think you have a broad spectrum of people and how they feel about it. Some are confused as to, you know, what NIL is. Some are uh, reluctant to be involved because they don't like it, you know, just on a ideological level. Um, And then some realize that, hey, this is the this is the game. This is the the uh dynamic that is happening and baylor really is um you know because their student athletes and the in the leadership of those athletic programs are the front door for the university and because they've done such an outstanding job of of kind of uh exhibiting the values as they play the game as they compete hard as they are answering questions you know from the media Baylor has earned quite a bit of trust uh, from the community not just this community but also beyond that and that helps Baylor certainly deliver its mission on a bigger scale you mentioned R1 uh, designation for the research I mean all of that is is hinged in some ways to the success and the continued success of recruiting the right leaders for programs recruiting the right athletes that um that can fit within the value system that baylor has and so it is a it is a necessary thing and it's not a obviously it's not a wrong thing uh according to the courts
0: obviously there was so much sadness and tragedy within the baylor athletic department with the sexual scandals of Mm -hmm. the art briles time and i think in some ways that crisis management led by jason cook Mm. really helped position Baylor well for NIL. There was this campaign where lights shine bright. And Baylor really, I felt at least from an outsider's perspective, did a great job of positioning itself as a place where we are going to take the harder road. We're going to take the ethical road. We are going to bring transparency into this process. And, you know, at least in the SEC, in the words of Charles Barkley, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Mm. Kids have been getting paid for years and years yeah. uh, to go and play football out of school, and at least with this NIL stuff, it seems that it gets rid of that, right? Like that, get rid of the under the table kind of stuff, and just brings more transparency right. to it.
1: I I think it will. I don't think we're there yet, and um, and certainly with Baylor, I mean, as as far as is the history that Baylor has that they um, that they had to handle effectively, and it wasn't without. Uh, divisiveness, right? It wasn't without emotion. The leadership did a great job of engaging with the alumni and engaging with the community. And um, you know, no one did, no one did it perfectly or can do it perfectly. But they really, um, I think, they took that very seriously. I think they were sincere um, in the way that they approached it. And and certainly with the leadership that we have now they all understand that uh, and it's it's a part of the fabric of who they are as well to do things above board in the right way and we have a mission that informs you know how we do things and even the partnerships that that Baylor has which includes us we are uh, responsible for the mission of Baylor as well and the way that they do things so there's no doubt that it it creates headwinds against Baylor. Uh, along with that is a small alumni base. So it is a, certainly a challenge, but, but when you show up and you're doing your job and you feel like you have the right, um, not just strategy, but you have the right values in place, and these are the things we are not gonna negotiate, it becomes really important for us to, to, um, to really focus in on how are we developing student athletes for the future? in In positive ways, right? and um, and that's a challenge because that that's working harder than a lot of the
0: uh, the universities must. You're hearing from Cody Carlson, former Baylor and NFL quarterback, current developer, entrepreneur, connector here in the Waco community. I don't want to harp too much on the Baylor football career, but I do want to throw a bone to our football junkies who are here. I did not follow Baylor before I moved to Waco. What were some of the highlights of you and your career when you were at Baylor? Was that like when Grant Taft was Grant, the coach? Grant Taft was the coach. He
1: had been the coach at Baylor for probably 15 years at that point. And it, um, before I got to Baylor, and the reason that Baylor was on my um, on my radar is they had won the, the conference championship in 1980.
0: And is this Southwest Conference? This was the
1: Southwest, yes. The defunct Southwest Conference. Yeah. So, um, so it was – and it was I grew up in a in a home. My my parents, you know, were were um, very moral people and they were uh, they had attended church and they they knew they were a part of the process for me. And so if there was a coach or a program that had some reputation as not being above board, then they certainly let me know it. And um, and so they kind of were a part of the process as well. They loved coach staff they loved the coaches that worked under him they loved the program the institution as i said my my sister was already a student here and so it was um yeah it just it was a a great fit for me um highlights i mean we we had uh success we went to three bowl games we beat some top 10 teams we uh, your aggies uh really deflated us a number of times including my senior year where we lost a, a one point game down in College Station for the conference title. Ugh. So they were, you, know, you remember some of the disappointments as well, but you remember just the, the camaraderie, um, you know, and, and informed by the university, by the coaches about what it is to be a citizen. And that's really to, to understand that growth, to actually participating in that growth. Um, you know, the, the
0: strength of our relationships was probably the highlight. You mentioned earlier the nonlinear path that you took and many athletes take. Your nonlinear path took you to Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. You backed up the Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon there. What were some of your learnings in your athletic career that have still stuck with you now in your civilian personal professional life? Sure. Yeah.
1: Um, Boy, a lot of them. And and really, um, you know, if I were to, I guess, begin, it would be this translation that these student-athletes need to have confidence in, which is um, work ethic, which is uh, determination, which is being able to handle failure as well as success. And so, um, you know, even small businesses, right, they're they're nonlinear. I mean, no one uh, everything's fluid. You know, you're taking care of the urgent. Some days are deflating. Some days are, uh, you don't know if you're going to be able to survive it. Um, with our small business community within the pandemic, you know, it it was not assured that anyone was going to survive it. But those same qualities are seen in um, in this community as well, of just the persistence of, of staying committed to the dream of, being passionate about what you're doing, and doing some of those things that, that you don't necessarily want to do. You wake up and you tackle those things each day. And so that is really, I would say, the, the, the foundation that, you, that one learns, you know, just in society in general, but also when they're really, when they're goal-driven, when they have something that they're trying to achieve.
0: What is it that brought you to wake up five years ago?
1: Uh, It's a couple of things. It was um, one of the things was just the timing of where Baylor was in relation to you. You brought it up earlier, uh, recovering from the scandal, supporting individuals that were in the program that were either in ministry or on the administrative side in the athletic department. It was, um, you know, we felt we were living in Austin, had been there for 25 years, and I had been a little bit disconnected from the university um, and certainly from relationships that that uh, i had here but felt like if i was really going to help to support them that that we needed to be in closer proximity so i asked my wife to pray about it and she didn't tell me no but i don't think she did until a little bit down the road uh, after a couple of months she came to me and said i think it's right Um, along with that we our youngest Child needed to be in a smaller community than Austin as he was learning to drive. He has uh, physical disabilities. And, and we, we felt like it was going to be very, very difficult for him to overcome the challenges of driving in that community um, so that he could live independently and, and uh, flourish. And so that, it was, that was tough because we brought him here right after middle school. So he had only known Austin. He had only known the community in Austin. And so there were certain challenges to that, but he's doing great now. Now, he did go back down to Austin, but, you know, most, pe- most young people think that's a really cool place.
0: What other professional pursuits have you been doing while you're here in Waco? Like, from what I can gather, I know you and some partners own a property on Elm Avenue, mm-hmm. the 300 block of Elm. Just from my vantage point, you seem like a glue guy. Like mm. you're tall, handsome. You communicate well. You're smart. You can pull people from disparate areas and seem to be able to build consensus and get them on a team. Um, how do you utilize those personal skills that you have, the interpersonal skills that you have, and what are you doing in Waco?
1: Yeah. Um, so when I when I moved to Waco, I was working in the healthcare industry and had been in the healthcare industry for about a dozen years. And um, you know what. Moving here, it was evident to me, and and a part of it was seeing um, the growth in Austin. So, you know, 25 years ago, Austin had a small-town feel. It had uh, kind of the fabric of what it was, you know, Keep Austin Weird, and and some of those kind of local flair. Waco, you could tell Waco was poised for growth, and so there were some opportunities as a— you know, as a, as a real estate investor, to to get involved and to identify areas where you really wanted to be a part of of what was going to happen, and that was really the, I think the the main thing for Elm Avenue, and it was, and it and it seeing it and envisioning it different than what happened with Austin. So so the growth of Austin displaced historical populations. You know, I believe Waco has a chance because of the size and also because of the the community has a chance to do it differently and I think m- must do it differently.
0: But how? What What did you learn from Austin? And what can we take from the Austin experience and directly apply here? Is there anything direct?
1: Yeah, well, uh, there is. Now, as far as the, um, you know, I— I wouldn't know what the, the strategy you know, from the city council was. I wouldn't know um, exactly what their non-negotiables were, what their, their um, support for m- small and minority businesses were. You didn't see it. It was just kind of a, almost this, one, once growth started happening, then it was just the, the money that mattered. And so I think Waco has more of a conscience than that. I think it that people want opportunity and take advantage of this time that we have to create um, pathways for people to access capital, for minorities to own businesses, for education to be um, more dynamic and to cover more of the, um, the young people in this community. Um, and I think all of those things, while it's not a program, I mean there are programs, but those values are more important than the programs. The programs can move a lot of different directions once you get started, right And usually the path of least resistance is where someone will go. but if you're if you're really committed to values and you're committed to um, respect and equality, then then growth is going to look different. It's going to be potentially harder because there's more stakeholders that you're listening to and respecting and understanding. And I think Waco does, I think that's important to Waco. I think it's important to the individuals in downtown Waco, the, the individuals that have, have seen or envisioned what could happen on Elm
0: Avenue. I would imagine that given your position, having been in athletics for as long as you have, You have had lots of friends from across all different stripes, socioeconomic Mm. groups, racial groups. And I think it's important to remember with this Elm Avenue corridor especially that there are people like you who Mm. are there. There are also historic black owners who still own their properties. But people like you, just because you're white, doesn't mean you have bad intentions. Like You clearly are someone who cares about uplifting and supporting the community. And this property on the heart of Elm Avenue could really be a fabulous opportunity to to bring people into that fold.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, and and I understand the skepticism as well, right? I mean, you know, and there's a reason for people to be cautious. I think a, a, you know, it takes some time to have conversations to get to know one another and build trust. And growth and industry doesn't have those, it doesn't have values, right? But the people do. And so I think as, as we have conversations as we listen, as we get to know one another, we see so many, uh, you know, we understand skepticism, we understand reluctance to, to participate or caution or any of those things. And it helps us, I think, readjust or adjust our sights, timelines, services, you know, a lot of different things. But if you're, you know, if
0: it's just about making the money, you know, values are, are really unimportant. Cody Carlson is a former Baylor and NFL quarterback and current entrepreneur and sponsor here in Waco. Cody, thank you so much for sharing some of your story with us. Yeah. Thanks. Austin. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Cody Carlson and you for tuning into episode 141 of downtown Depot here on Waco public radio. You can find me in between episodes on Facebook and Instagram at Waco Business News. And join me the first Friday of the year for another conversation with an inspiring small business owner, civic leader, or engaged citizen sparking Waco's revitalization. I'm Austin Meek, and you've been listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco business.